Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad you're here with us as we begin a new series, Joy in the Darkness. Doesn't sound exactly like a joyful series, does it? We, we end with the word darkness. And with rare exceptions like, say, fireworks lighting up the night sky or Christmas lights in the darkness, we don't usually ex see the darkness as a symbol for joy. And, and even in those cases, if you think about it, we're, we're talking about how we bring light into the darkness. So what does it mean when we face darkness in our lives? When, when the plans that we have and the dreams we have come crashing down? When, when we think we're on the path God wants us and it doesn't work out? When we're wrestling with disappointment? What happens then? How, how do we have joy? How do we, we rejoice as scripture calls us to do in those moments? And and we may start feeling guilty then because I don't feel like rejoicing. And so then we struggle even more. And yet, God doesn't just leave us there flailing in the dark, trying to figure out what it means to have joy in the darkness. But rather, we have in his word examples that, that show us how we can, in fact, hold on to those promises and then see his light when it seems the darkest. So let's come before our God and lift before him whatever challenges and darkness we might be facing and know that he is with us and that he will guide us tonight as we look at his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this evening that we we can be together and study your word. Lord, would you encourage us with whatever might burden our hearts that 
That we might feel your joy even in those moments that we don't feel very joyful. That we might feel your peace when, when we don't feel very confident that anything makes sense. Lord, you understand what it is that we're facing better than we can imagine. Would you remind us of that and remind us of your presence with us? Would you guide us tonight as we turn to the book of Philippians that we would see how we can have joy in the darkness of life and show that joy to others? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A friend of mine was talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer yesterday, and it, it got me thinking in the context of this new series because he's kind of in a parallel situation to what the Apostle Paul is going through at the beginning of Philippians. Bonhoeffer is mentioned quite a bit in 20th century history, not so much because he was able to spend a, a lifetime writing huge theologies, but because of what he decided to do during World War II. You see, Bonhoeffer was a pastor and theologian who had opposed the early Nazi regime and, and then managed to safely flee Germany. And he, was, he then found himself in New York, and he was, was teaching theology classes, doing in theory what it was that he thought he wanted to do in a place that he could do it without fear. But then he could see across that ocean what was happening. He could, he could read the papers and hear the reports, and he didn't feel right being so far removed from the people he had originally been with, the, the people that he was there to serve, and, and having the safety when, when the gospel doesn't call us to just enjoy safety. And so he went back over to Germany, and over time he ended up finding himself in a position where he determined that part of his calling was to seek to assassinate Adolf Hitler before he did any more evil. And we could have a whole discussion on, on that decision, but what's interesting about Bonhoeffer is that he had these opportunities. He was, he was teaching, and everything was going well with that. He was engaged to a, a woman to be married and, and was looking forward to making plans there. And all this comes apart, and he finds himself arrested, imprisoned, and ultimately executed just days before the, the Allies rolled through and could have rescued him because he was convinced that he needed to stay the course. And then it became the question, what do you do in that imprisonment? He had every reason to expect that he would be executed, as he was. So how did he handle that? Did he just become despondent? Did he say, I, I guess God abandoned me. I was trying to be faithful to him, but, but God doesn't come through for us. No. No, what he, he did is he spent that time in prison as, as productive as possible, writing letters, encouraging friends that weren't yet imprisoned to, to think about how they could be serving God and, and be faithful to him. Talking about how even in the circumstances that were coming apart in life, that there could be joy. Joy because he was confident that God was working. Didn't probably feel like it a lot of the time. And yet as he turned to God's word, he saw that, that God works in those hardships. And that's what we see as we, we turn to the beginning of the book of Philippians. Paul's writing this letter while imprisoned in Rome, and, and he's writing to the Philippians whom it probably would have been really nice to sit down and spend some time with. But he can't because he's been arrested. He's imprisoned. But look what he says if we turn to verse 4. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you. What is he doing? He says that they're all making my prayer with joy. 
he's praying for these people that he cares deeply about that he can't see and and he's in a circumstance that he didn't desire but he has joy and joy shows up repeatedly in this first chapter of Philippians we might ask Paul you're imprisoned you've been falsely accused you're you're potentially going to be executed how can you have joy same sort of question we might have wanted to ask Bonhoeffer as he wrote about the joy of the Lord to his friends as he was imprisoned. What would Paul say to that question? What would he encourage us to do as, as we think about our own hardships and difficulties and, and plans that have come apart in life? He'd encourage us to think about how hardships can be opportunities. And that's what we see time and again in Scripture, and that's what we see him talking about here. You see, Paul was in prison, but he didn't just dwell on that and say, oh, this tyrannical government has arrested me. Oh, how unjust this is. Oh, how horrible this is. Oh, I, I miss my freedom. I miss being able to do things. No, what he sees is he sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to do the very thing he's called to do, to share the gospel. That's what we see if we turn to verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, there's several things at play here. And the first one is that Paul sees the, the resources he does have as an opportunity. He, when he's accused and arrested, he appeals to the emperor. And that's something you could do as a Roman citizen, something that not everyone in the Roman Empire could say. Not everyone was a citizen just because they lived in the Roman Empire or, or even were born in the Roman Empire. Uh, certainly many of the Jews, like Paul, didn't have Roman citizenship, but Paul did. And so what does he do? He sees an opportunity and he appeals to the emperor for a hearing when he's arrested. And in that then, as he's transferred around and ultimately brought to Rome, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting for that hearing. He he sees how this hardship, this unexpected imprisonment, this, this break in the plans that he had organized in his own mind was an opportunity to speak about the gospel. Every time someone would ask, well, Paul, what's the charge against you? Why are you here? He could say, I'm here because I speak about the king who has been brought back to life, that raised himself from the grave, that, that triumphed over death. And if they, they question him, he'd go in more and more and share about how this king was promised in prophecies and, and how this king saves us from our sins. And so Paul sees the accusation against him as a, a headlining announcement. Here comes the one who can preach about the gospel. That's not what, the say, the guard that would ask him what he was there for was thinking or, or the, the various judges and magistrates. That's what Paul sees, an opportunity to speak about his Savior. And that can be the opportunity for us as well. When, when we, we face the hardships of life, when, when things do come crashing down, do we see it as an opportunity? Now, before we go any further with this, we should caution ourselves because we can get to the point where we start to see every hardship as something we're suffering because we're being faithful Christians and we start to build ourselves up into these self-righteous heroes. Ah, you know, I lost my job because I didn't show up for several days. They're persecuting me as a Christian. I am suffering for Christ. 
I I went out and I I I drove recklessly and now I'm in the hospital. I, I'm suffering for Christ. And when those sorts of things happen, when our own foolishness puts us someplace, we, we shouldn't try to put on some kind of martyrdom and, and appear like we're being holy for suffering. That's not necessarily the point. Clearly, Paul is suffering specifically for doing what God had called him to do. But a lot of times our hardships aren't that way. Nonetheless, though, when, when we find ourselves in them, it, it, it doesn't negate the opportunity to use them for God's glory. To go through those hardships and ask God, where is the opportunity in here for me to serve you? Paul sees the suffering with that phrasing he says at the end of that verse we just looked at, that it's essentially, much like he likes to use the phrasing in Christ elsewhere, he uses it here, that that the suffering is suffering he's experiencing that he can say that Jesus understands because Jesus too has suffered. Jesus suffered, if you think about it, and in all the different ways that we suffer because he came into this world as a human being and experienced it as a human being. Only unlike us, he didn't deserve the suffering he went through. He didn't deserve to, to grow up in a town that, that rejected his message because they, they couldn't imagine that that he could actually have any authority to teach. He didn't deserve to have his closest friends, the, the ones he'd gathered and spent years with, abandon him in his darkest moment. He certainly wasn't deserving to be sent to be crucified and to be sent ultimately to try to appease a mob is an easier way to get that mob down than to do than the justice that Pilate should have provided. At each step, Jesus received what he didn't deserve. And in each of those steps, he experienced suffering. And so when we, we go through suffering, and Scripture calls us to have joy, it's not that, that God's sitting up there in this lofty place looking down at, the, at these, these scurrying little dots on a globe and saying, you minions down there, you should just be happy. Why are you complaining about suffering? It's not that at all. God understands what we're going through and he calls us to cling to him so that as we go through those things we, we can experience his joy not because the suffering isn't real and not that it can't even hurt and not that we shouldn't even admit that but that we know that our God's with us in it we look for the opportunities to see how God is going to use those things that we find ourselves in Take a look, for example, in Acts chapter 28, verse 16. Luke reports that when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That sounds like a nondescript phrase for first glance, but when you think about it, it's actually kind of interesting. And at first, Paul could have complained. He's going to be allowed to stay in his own house. So that means what? That means that Paul is going to have to pay rent. He's going to be imprisoned. He can't freely travel the city. He can't go to a different city. He's going to have a guard with him all the time. And he's going to have to pay for that privilege. But it also meant that he could talk with people. He could have those guards. And, and the guards that were, would do house arrest would have been transferred every few hours. And so as he's in this house, forced in this house, seemingly dark circumstance, I don't want to ever be in house arrest. Paul doesn't spend his time complaining to the guards, yeah, I have to pay the rent on this house. 
I really wanted to go to Spain and um, I wanted to do some work for, for the poor over in Jerusalem and I wanted to do all these things and I've been falsely accused and, and uh, you know, it's just so bad. You know, what does he see? He says, oh, I have a captive audience. These guards are going to be cycling through. I can preach the gospel to them. And they have to listen because they're there. They can't leave. So that's what he does. He he starts preaching to the whole imperial guard. And there's some debate in commentators of, on the reference that Paul uses to the guard, if that means at some point he was transferred out of that house arrest into a, a more standard facility with the guards or or if he was always under house arrest during this time. But wherever he was, he, he knew that he was encountering these guards and they needed the gospel just like everybody else. And he was going to preach it to them. And this is where the really challenging thing shows up for us to, to wrestle with. And that's the, the, the so contrary to what we want to ask, which is, God, how can you get me out of this? First, maybe we say, well, God, how can you let this happen? How, how can the things that I was counting on fall apart? How can the plans I thought were good plans that you had for me fall apart? How can it be? I, I was doing the things you say are good. I wasn't even, I wasn't, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I wasn't doing anything sinful here. How can it be that it falls apart? And then maybe once we get past that, we say, how can you get me out of this? And, and Paul himself, it's not wrong to ask those sorts of questions. We shouldn't welcome suffering and say, I, I'm so glad I get to suffer again. I, maybe I should go seek more suffering. It's not that. We're told in Second Corinthians, Paul prays that that thorn in his flesh could be taken away. But when Paul realizes that, that he's not going to just have a miraculous release from this particular imprisonment, he sets about saying, not how can you get me out of this, God? But how can you use me in this? And that's something we see with Paul. And again, that's something we see in the modern analog with, with Bonhoeffer. He, he doesn't mope and, and, and just spend all his time assuming that his life is over because he's in prison. No, what does he do? He works. He, he studies. He encourages others. And Paul does that amazingly effectively here. And, and here's the interesting thing about it. When Paul was thinking about his missionary travels, we, we learn that he wanted to go to Rome to preach. We see that at the end of Romans in chapter 15. He, he's been unable to go there, he says, and he describes the reasons. And then he goes on, he says, This is the reason why I have been so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. So when Paul writes that, this, this is years before the letter to the Philippians, Paul's thinking, I, I have these missionary journeys ahead. I, you know, I, I've talked to the travel agent. I have my itinerary all mapped out. I, I, I know what I'm doing. God's blessing this work. I'm following him. And I, I'm looking forward to meeting these believers I haven't met in the city of Rome and encouraging them and, and helping them and using my gifts to, to do Jesus's work. And then once I get there, then I'm going to use that as a launch pad. They're going to hopefully contribute to the work. And then I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to preach at the far ends of the Roman Empire. And it's, it's a great plan. There's nothing wrong with that plan. It's just not God's plan that he's sending Paul on. 
Paul is called to advance God's word, but not in the way that he would have imagined. And he's even called to advance God's word in Rome, but not in the way that he imagined. And as he's writing to the Philippians, he talks about the advance of the gospel, that that word advance that he uses is the word that could be used to describe a military effort trying to go through an attacking horde and, and you're being hit and struck and, and, and beaten down, but you keep advancing and moving the front line forward. That's how Paul sees this. He's not saying, it's great that I'm under house arrest. I'm so glad I'm, I'm, I've been arrested and I don't have any liberty and I can't go out and just go wherever I feel like God's calling me. He doesn't say that. And in some sense, it would be unhelpful to say that. Sometimes we try to short circuit the darkness that we go through by by just trying to jump immediately to, oh, look how great this is. And and the point isn't that the suffering is great, that the hardships are great, whether we brought them on ourselves or, or there's some other reason they're happening. The point is they can be used, that God works in them. And we have to to, to see that we have to have our eyes open for, for those opportunities. It makes me think of, of a, a dear friend of mine who, who a number of years ago went through a very serious medical situation, one that had him in the hospital for months. And he was in the midst of doing some really, really good ministry, ministry that, that would be incredibly disappointing to, to have interrupted by a, a huge medical issue. And he could have spent those months in the hospital saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I here? And whenever someone would come in and say, I'm just so disappointed I was doing this work for God and, and now I'm in this hospital bed. And it, it seemed really touch and go for a while. It wasn't clear whether he would survive that stay in the hospital. But what did he become known for as he was laying there in that hospital bed? That whoever came to, to, to serve him and to help him, he saw the opportunity to say, yeah, I was doing this work of ministry and then this happened as a door to share the gospel with the the medical workers. In fact, as he got sicker and he was so sick, it wasn't even clear whether he was going to make it through it at all. There were nurses, when they'd get off duty, they'd come and ask him questions about God and about the Bible because they knew here's a man who, despite everything he's going through, is excited about what God is doing and is anxious for those conversations. It's not that he should have wanted to be in the hospital, but as he was there, he saw the opportunities. And, and we're called to see that. And it's so hard a lot of times when we're, we're in that place to, to say like, Paul, well, this place that I'm at that isn't where I, I wanted to be. This is a place to advance the gospel. Sometimes it, it feels like the exact opposite of that. But, but we know that God can take those broken, tattered moments in our lives. And, it, and it, whether they're self-inflicted, they're, they're our own foolishness, whether it's the brokenness of the world that's put us there, or whether it's something where we were heading in the wrong direction and God slammed a door, whatever it might be, we can have confidence in all those that, in fact, God is, is working through those circumstances and picking them up and setting them up so that we can have an opportunity to serve him and bring him glory. And a lot of times it doesn't feel that way in the moment. It might not even feel that way for a while, and and yet we know that he's working. As I was thinking about Paul's plans for life and, and how they they were redirected here, I found myself thinking back to when I was finishing up college. And, and I knew I wanted to go into ministry, but I thought I wanted to go into teaching ministry. I wanted to, 
to be an academic at a university teaching religion and theology classes. And a mentor of mine in college who, who did that had recommended a particular seminary I should go to, and it seemed like an obvious choice. This is where I should be. And so I filled out the application and sent it in. I was thinking, this is where God wants me. This is what needs to be to accomplish the calling that I have. And I didn't hear anything, and I finally applied elsewhere and tried to discern. And it wasn't until I ultimately landed at a different seminary that I found out that the application had just been lost. Nothing ever happened to it. In the moment, it felt hugely disappointing that nothing was happening there. It felt like, here's where I think you're leading me, God, and, and suddenly the plans aren't coming together, right? I, I'm I'm going someplace else that isn't going to let me do the plans that you have for me the way I, I thought you wanted them, God. Why are you doing that? What are you doing with it? But here's the interesting thing looking back on it years later. The, the seminary I, I thought I wanted to go to, I thought I should be at, really was focused on academics, focused on on teaching in the academy, and that wasn't where God wanted me. I spent some time teaching there, and I loved it, but but God kept moving me until I, I found myself where we are today, that, that we're planting this little church, Little Hills Church. And it's frightening, and it's uncertain, and uh, you know, it'd be nice to tie this all up in a neat bow and say, this is exactly how it all works out, and it's good, and it's wonderful, and, and yet... You, it's not done yet. And for most of us, those plans that God's moving us on aren't done yet. And it's still scary and it's still uncertain. It still feels dark at times. A lot of times. And, and yet the the wonderful fellowship we have even tonight that I'm getting to be with you and we're, we're studying God's word together. God was preparing for that when he shut down that door and, and it felt like I'm trying to advance the gospel. I'm trying to do this thing that you want me to do, God. And and it just feels like I'm just getting those blows laid upon me. And there have been other steps in that. And I would imagine in your life there have been lots of steps where you, you think that, that you understand where, where you're supposed to be. They don't work out. But in that, do we see the opportunities that God has for us? Because as we do, it doesn't make it so there isn't the pain and the, 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 the struggles with it, but it gives us the opportunity to say, in this moment, how can I be proclaiming your gospel. Not as the God who makes everything perfectly easy and, and good and we just always have joy because there's no suffering, but because we have a God who dwells with us who understands suffering. And when we, we start to, to see that, then we can start to hold on to that joy and, and hold it up. And as we, we do that and we endure those hardships well, it allows us to help others to do the same and to then share the gospel with the people around them. And we see that as Paul goes on in verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers, the brothers in Rome, that is, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Kind of counterintuitive, actually, if you think about it at first. They, they hear that this missionary that they, I mean, missionary with a reputation that clearly precedes him by this point. They they know of Paul, but they don't know Paul. Most of them don't, at least. It is now in Rome, but he's in Rome because the power of the Roman Empire is holding him prisoner. 
And that would be a good reason to, to want to flee any association with him and maybe flee the church or at least get out of Rome. Don't be right there in the center of power proclaiming the gospel anymore. What happens instead? They, they see Paul and they see Paul using this opportunity that he has, this opportunity in the hardship and using it to preach to the guards and 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 looking at how the kingdom of God is advancing in that. And, and they get to interact with Paul and they see what Paul is doing and he's able to encourage them so that instead of seeing this as an opportunity to, to run and an opportunity to assume that everything is coming crashing down, it's instead an opportunity to endure well. That's what we see also in the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's not that we should say it's wonderful that Bonhoeffer was was executed and how great that is that he didn't get to live a full life and 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 do all the things that he might have done afterwards, write more books and, and more encouragement and so on. But what happened in, in his life is he looked at, at the God he knew from the scriptures and he endured well, even in that incredible disappointment of being executed just days before he could have been rescued. What did he do? He showed that we can have confidence in our dark moments because we, we have a God who's with us in them. And he's encouraged so many people over the years since that that time, right at the end of World War II, with how to endure well. Paul, in his suffering, has encouraged so many on how to endure well. And when we're going through hard times, whatever it might be, what, what, whether it's a, a job that we lose, whether it's something that happens to, to, to just our plans, whether it's a, things not going well at school, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's just bad health, whether it's the pandemic and everything that's come out of that, whatever it might be, are we seizing those opportunities to endure well so that as people look at us, they're encouraged about the God who's with them and their suffering too? Because you see what happens when Paul is under house arrest. We, we look in Acts chapter 28, once again at verse 30. He's there for two whole years at his own expense, but he welcomed all who came to him. He's given that that mission field. And the very end of the of the book of Acts says the gospel went forth unhindered. God used it. And I think that's the challenge for each of us as we seek to be faithful as Christians is to think, how do I endure well in such a way that I recognize not that these circumstances are good, not that these are the circumstances I should want, the circumstances I can cry out to God, God, can you change this? But in it, there's opportunities. And in it, God's in there with us. And so there's room for joy. I, I think about Little Hill's own launch. We, we are a little bitty church. We haven't even got to have in-person meetings yet. We were supposed to start just six weeks after the pandemic ended up hitting. We didn't know a pandemic was going to hit. And it was exciting. We had a countdown and we were making plans and it was so, so exciting. And then we've been in this time of waiting, like, so many of us, I think all of us have felt in some sense, we're waiting, we're waiting for this pandemic to end for, for things to be quote unquote normal again. And we pray that the pain and the suffering, the death of the pandemic does end. But if we just waited and, and focused on how things weren't how we wanted, we would have missed so many wonderful opportunities already. Things like the prayer walks we have done in partnership with other local churches where people around the world have gathered and prayed before our God and encouraged each other before our God. Not because the circumstances were wonderful, 
but because we can endure together and encourage each other to endure together and say, our God is in these circumstances. And here's something we can be certain of. Even when we get back to normal, it's not going to be normal. There are always going to be hard circumstances, whether it would be another pandemic or something totally different, just like we never imagined a pandemic. We know we live in a culture that is less accepting of Christians and people living as Christians, and, and there isn't the pressure to go to a church anymore. So as we're thinking about starting a church, we can't just count on, well, people, once everything's normal, are going to feel just to be societally acceptable. I should be in a church. And that's going to be true of every single church in the world. We, we as Christians have to think, how do we use the opportunities of this changing world, of changing society, of changing habits and customs? How do we use those opportunities, which sometimes feel hard and we want to yearn for the good old days when people just went to church and so we could preach the gospel because they were going to be there? How do we use the hardships that we find as the people of God to, to think out of the box like Paul was when he says, Oh, house arrest. Great. I have a captive audience. Oh, house arrest. If I hold on to this joy and show it that the other people who aren't yet arrested can be emboldened because they see that I can be under house arrest and I'm holding on to God. How can we encourage the people around us? That's not just true of the church. That's true of you and me and our own broken pieces that we hold on to. And we hold on to those pieces and we hold on to them so tightly our hands start to bleed and we just say, God, these broken pieces, put them back together so that everything is how I thought it should be. And sometimes he does. And we can praise him when he does. But what we do know, he's going to take those pieces. He's not going to discount the suffering and the pain we've gone through. He's going to make a beautiful mosaic. He's going to use them our lives and our suffering are not in vain. He's going to use them. He's going to be with us through them. That's why we can start to see the difficulties as opportunities. Opportunities to glorify God, to advance the gospel, to see him in it with us. And when we do, we find his joy even in the darkest. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we don't like to suffer. I know I don't like to suffer. This is a challenging message because this is something that isn't in any sense easy. I'm not good at this. But Lord, I know that you are with each of us, whatever darkness that we're facing, whatever broken pieces we're holding on to. Would you remind us that you are with us? That those pieces that are there because of our own foolishness and, and sin You don't reject us because of it. But we can turn to our Savior and be redeemed and restored. And as we walk through life and and continue to accumulate those broken pieces, it doesn't always make sense. There's reason to mourn, reason to pray for change. There's also reason to have confidence, even in those broken moments that you give us opportunities. May we see them and seize them that we might preach your gospel, that we might share your hope with a world that's hurting around us too, and encourage others to endure well too. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do hope you'll join me next week. We're going to continue thinking about this and thinking about what it means to to endure well, because Paul is, is seeming to do that, but then he faces more challenging circumstances as opposing teachers who aren't under house arrest seek to undermine him. 
And so sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on, I'm, I'm doing this thing about enduring well, and then it just seems like it gets worse. What do we do in those moments? Well, please do join me next week as we talk about that. In the meantime, I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, take part in our new Bible reading series through the Psalms. We're reading Psalms 7, 8, and 9 this week. If you haven't already, we, you can go into our archive and catch Jim walking us through those, those readings for the week from last night's Little Hills broadcast. And then join us through this, because whatever broken situations you might be facing, the Psalms speak to it. And as you're reading through it, you can you can share your own experiences and questions at grow.faithtree.com. We're, we're having a conversation throughout the week about these things. But what we know is that these, as, as a wise person said to me, authorized prayers of God are there so that we know that when we are facing those dark moments, those broken moments, that those don't take God by surprise and he doesn't expect us to, to somehow pretend they're not there. That We can come to him and we hold on to him. Then he, he gives us the strength that we need to see the opportunities and to serve. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week or encourage you, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below and we could pray for each other. We endure well and we encourage each other to endure well by coming together before our God together. And I, I hope that you'll do that. And if, if this video has been an encouragement to you and whatever you're going through, or you know it would be encouragement to others, please consider giving it a like or a share and subscribe or like our page as well so that you can continue to get these videos. We can encourage each other as we seek to endure and to serve. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I'll see you again next week. Mm -hmm.